through the book of Revelation tonight, okay? So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this evening. Let's get into Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. And just to do a real quick, and I mean very, very quick, um, review this evening. We've looked thus far, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. And, uh, yes, oh, microphone, there you go. Cool, cool, thank you. I went right into it, didn't I, brother? There we go. Now we're amplified. All right, so we got into verse 11, verse 11. So we looked at the churches that were mentioned there. Uh, we mentioned how they are they are churches in reference to those that are in Asia Minor. The majority of them were planted by the Apostle Paul, either directly or indirectly. And uh, they're located what we would call today, we, we, we know it's not it's the Near East, we would refer to it. That's what that is, uh, Asia Minor would be referred to. So we finished up with what each one of those churches, those those titles meant, meaning like Ephesus, fully purposed, and Smyrna, Myrrh, and Pergamos, uh, uh, marriage, and Thyatira, odor of affliction, Sardis, the red ones, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, and then, of course, our church age, Laodicea, the rights of the people. And so when you look in chapters uh, 2 and 3, that these, uh, the, those, those, those letters are written to, and that angel that is written to, as we uh, have already discussed, and won't go back over that again here this evening, when you look at that, you, we know those are church ages, okay? They're church ages, they're references uh, that, again, we've already mentioned last week. And so the things that we want to pay, pay close attention to, we're going to get into verse 12 here in just a mere seconds, was the direction and the place where... John was when he literally penned uh, the uh, the book of Revelation. And we, st- we spoke about the three divisions, those three divisions being the church age, which is chapters 1 through 3, and the tribulation period, 4 through 19, then the millennial kingdom. And we know that, that each one of those three divisions of the book of Revelation are uh, separated by two major events. We see heaven opening up and people going up. And we see heaven open up and one come down. Those are the two events that separate those three divisions. The first time we see that it opens up is a reference to the rapture of the church. One of the very first messages we taught out here during this period of time uh, last month or so. I think actually it was the last Thursday of September. And so that's the rapture of the church. And then we find heaven open up again. Uh, to bring that second division to a close, opening up the third division, and that's when heaven opens up and someone comes down. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and with us following him upon white horses. And so now we get into verse 12. As again, we're looking at an introduction and an overview of the book of Revelation, and we're primarily looking at the authorship and the authority of the author, who is the Lord Jesus Christ we know. So look at verse 12 with me. And the Bible says here in Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 12, The Bible says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Okay, we find here that John says, I turned to see the voice. Now remember, there is a voice that's also going to be mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 that we talked about. That is that shout. That is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. We find this voice is speaking unto him, and and we see that uh, who he gives his authorship of who it is throughout this chapter. And so this is to say that he turned to see the one who spoke. He's looking back to see who was speaking. And he sees also these seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches. They are defined in verse 20 of our chapter. If you look at the very verse, very last verse of Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now that is a reference, my friend, 
a reference to the church ages, okay? The church ages. Think about it like this here this evening. We know that the Apostle Paul, directly or indirectly, planted these churches in Ephesus and Sardis and Thyatira and so on and so on and so on. Uh, remember, he spent three years in Ephesus. He planted a little Bible college there, and he sent preacher boys out throughout all over the area that continued to go and go places and planted churches. So whether Paul would have gone to a place literally himself, one of his the influence that God has given him, the influence that he had on one of these preacher boys, would have had planted these churches. These are seven literal churches. We know for we know the church at Ephesus. We understand that, but. When the Lord's using this as the seven golden candlesticks, we're understanding that it's that reference again to the church ages. And this is one of the ways that we know time is short. Time is drawing uh, very near because we are in the final church age today, the church age of the Laodiceans. We mentioned that in closing last week, which Laodicea means rights of the people. And there never has been a time that there are more rights of the people. There's no rights for the Christian. There's no rights for the word of God. There's no right for the truth. But everyone else has the right to do and say whatever they feel they want to do uh, in this life today. That's an earmark of a culture, and that culture is established by the church. Now, I said that, and you're like, wait a second, are we the blame? I'm not saying we here at Horde Baptist Church or Sarin uh, or Calvary Baptist. I'm not saying we're the blame, but I am going to tell you this. So goes the church, so goes the country. So goes the country so goes the region. So goes the region, so goes the world. The climate of our world today is going to be dictated and established the way the churches are. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow, I understand. Uh, you know, one of the, the amillennials, those who don't believe in the millennial kingdom, they don't believe in the rapture of the church, they just believe that we're going to, you know, it's here and we go to heaven and all that. Uh, they believe that we need to work and get better and get better, that we're going to build this kingdom here on this earth and it's going to get better in this world today, even though the Bible completely disagrees with that, saying that evil men shall wax worse and worse, uh, being deceived and are deceived and being deceived. We, we have people today that have taught a false doctrine that the better you do, the better you live, the better your community will be, the better life will be, the better the world will become. Even though that is not a, a biblical doctrine for the age that we are living in, it doesn't make it entirely wrong, I understand, okay? We have to stay between the perspective of the Word of God. We know that time is going to come when people will turn away from sound doctrine after their own lusts, heap them themselves, teachers, having itching ears. They want to be comforted. They want to be told what they believe. They'll search out anybody online, anybody on YouTube, anybody on TikTok, anybody on that that agrees with them, and that's who they're going to follow. But when you live in the, you, you go back to the revivals we had. You look at the 1859 revival where 40 some odd thousand people in the Cunning Valley were saved and born again. Converts are added to churches, 50 to 100 new converts every month for two years. They were planting and building churches. You go to the early 1900s, and I'm not even talking about the Welsh revival. I'm talking about a revival that, that went through the Cunning Valley, even on the backside of the revival in 1859. And you had men such as Thomas Price, who planted 30 churches in the early 1900s and ran all the way up till the 50s and the 60s. All right? 30 churches. He had a total membership of 7,248 out of these 30 churches. Most were migrant workers. They came together and they, um, uh, they came together for baptisms there in the, in, the, in the River Taft. They came together and had all these different things, you know, all, but there are Sundays they were local, independent, fundamental, Bible believing churches they were, okay? 
when you had these churches growing and you had people getting saved and getting born again, well, guess what? Those that stole, as the Bible says, if you steal, what does it say? Steal no more. Amen? Those that used to swear and to drink and carouse around and run around, they stopped doing those things. So yes, society became better. Okay? It did. That is a byproduct. Amen. Christianity is the only religion that has a positive byproduct that will last if and only if the Word of God is held to, to a T. If our faith is locked in the Word in the Lord Jesus Christ, if our belief system is locked in to that purified, preserved Word of God in this AV, when it's locked into that and Christians begin to live like they should as Christians, and for the very reason they were given the title Christians in Antioch, Syria, uh, Acts chapter 11, the first time it shows up. Matter of fact, it's only in the Bible three times. Two in Acts and then one in Peter's epistles. First time, they, uh, it was the world saying, they, those are those Christians. They're Christ-like. They're, they're like Jesus Christ. That's how they're living. Amen. It was their lifestyle that gave them the title Christian. Not their name on the roll in the local Baptist church. You understand? I'm saying that to make this point, guys. What we need to understand is that our culture today is a, is a result of men of God turning away from the precious purity of the Word of God. That's what it is. And I, I still believe that the pew will never rise above the pulpit. And if somebody gets in the pulpit and they don't preach proper doctrine and they preach a, a incorrect doctrine and damnable heresies and they preach, maybe they just preach a watered-down, sugar-coated gospel that does nothing for no one, generations to come, you can only live off those old blessings for so long. Residual blessings will only last, and the church will die on the vine. And when the church dies on the vine, the domino effect is sin in society, and sin in the community, and in the culture. Now, our purpose here tonight, guys, is to not make our community better. Our purpose is to be saved and born again and live a life for Christ. But the byproduct of that is people living like living like the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning sin and crime and problems and issues and all of that begin to lower down. I know I got on that point, but I'm making the point to understand we're in a church age known as rights of the people. It does not mean we can't be a Philadelphian local New Testament church in the midst of a Laodicean church age. It doesn't mean that you can't live for the Lord Jesus Christ today. It doesn't mean that Horeb Baptist cannot be a shining light in the midst of a dark and, and, and deceitful and deadly time that we can be who we should be in Christ Jesus right here, right now. Even though the age is earmarked by rights of the people, it doesn't mean that we can't be right with God and live the right way. And we need to understand that. Look at verse 13 with me. Verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of uh, the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Anyone who has read the Gospels understand clearly this is a direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't stay on it. We won't emphasize it. But anyone knows this is a direct reference and a title, the Son of Man, uh, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they're girt about the paps. This is a reference to the, the chest. And, and uh, we, would, we would say something like clothed uh, you know, uh, about the chest or clothed about the torso. That's what that is a reference to when you see there in verse 13. Look there in verse 14 with me tonight. Verse 14. The Bible says his head and his hairs were white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Notice the difference between Jesus Christ in this picture here and his human appearance of a Jew as described in the say the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 5, verses 10 through 15 says this, My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and, his, and black as a raven. His eyes are as, a, as a, the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling uh, myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a burl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as of Lebanon. Excellent. As the cedars. His appearance on earth was of a man. And again, not this, not this effeminate looking image that so many artists attempt to depict Jesus Christ as over the last thousand years. Uh, his head, guys, his head here is depicted as a, in a glorified appearance. His eyes are no longer like dove's eyes, but they're like flames of fire which will judge, will purify, will cleanse. And, and the glorified risen Savior has eyes which will burn down the bottom of our soul. And this isn't the popular Jesus. This isn't the popular Christ, but this is the proper Christ. And we need to understand you want to know what Jesus looks like now? You just read it right there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Verse 15, we see that his voice, listen to this, is in his, in his feet like undefined brass, as if they were burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, like a waterfall, if you will. If you go back in your mind, we're not going to turn there, especially for time's sake tonight, but if you go back when, say, the Apostle Paul was converted in Acts chapter 11, he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? But the blokes around them, they saw the light, yeah, but they did not hear the voice. What did they hear? Heard a thunder roll, okay? When we looked in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, with the shout of the archangel and with the voice of God, Okay, in Revelation 4, verse 1, we see that that voice has come up hither to John, the depiction of what the rapture will be like. So his voice, guys, is like a, a mighty thunder, a roll. Some believe, and I, will, I tend to lean this direction, and again, I'm just, uh, I believe when the rapture happens, the rapture is, is not a visible appearance of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Every eye shall not see him and every knee bow at the rapture. That will be only for the bride of Christ. The only people that will see Jesus Christ when the rapture happens are those who are saved, born again in the blood of Christ, those who bear the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. When he says, come up hither, and we are snatched out of here in the, blink, in the twinkling of an eye. The amount of time it takes for light to refract in our eye. Okay? Making that point, I do in my mind, in, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying it's, it's a 100%. This is a, a way that I do lean. I believe that the world will hear a massive thunder. They'll hear a, mass, a massive thunder from end to end. But we're going to hear, come up hither. And we're going to go. And you may say, well, why do, why do you believe that? <clears throat> I believe in my heart, of, my heart of hearts, as we read in Romans chapter 1, where they took the glory of God and they changed him into the uh, four-footed beast and the glory of man and all this and that. 
We live in a world today that it's not only rights of the people, but it's rights of everything other than people, <clears throat> right? You know, b babies have no rights anymore. <clears throat> we had a local MP here a while back, uh, well, I say a while back, about a two weeks ago, who went on a rant and a rampage and started bringing awareness out of um, buffer zones around what I call, and you probably know them as, as abortuaries, murder clinics, okay? And that's what they are. It's murder. All right, I'm just going to make it very clear. It's murder. And so, but she was wanting buffer zones for those going to seek and uh, to obtain an abortion. They could go without the, the harmful effects of those out there trying to counsel the, the young ladies coming in. And so she's trying to push a bill to pass in law in Wales to have a buffer zone, all right? So that they can't be so many feet, so many meters, whatever, away from the abortuaries that are there. With what passion she pushed the buffer zones to give women the rights to, uh, uh, to, uh, to kill their babies, why not have the same passion to push for adoption? Do you know how many families are out there who would love to have children and they just cannot? Okay? I don't agree with abortion in any level, shape, form, or fashion. There, never will you find a secondary sin justified because of a, an initial sin. Make that clear? Think on that one for a while. So anyway, I'm saying all that, guys, that, that we need to understand that we live in a world today where animals have more rights than humans. You know, if, if you run over a spotted owl on accident, um, you know, you're going to prison. That's just the way it is. I remember a story when I was a, uh, back when alligators were protected in, in, in Florida. Uh, you, can, you can kill them now because the population has gotten so large. But when I was growing up, you couldn't. I mean, at all. You'd go to jail. And um, same thing with what's called the Florida panther. Uh, we have a panther in South Florida. And um, South, Southwest Florida is kind of like a mini Australia. Everything there just wants to kill you or hurt you as far as the animal kingdom goes. Spiders the size of dogs. I mean, you know, it's just, I tell you, man, it's something else, you know. And, uh, but, but an individual going across Alligator Alley, which is I-75, cutting across the state and goes through the Everglades, he accidentally ran over a Florida panther. He hit one. And in the middle of the night, didn't see it, couldn't see it. They ran out in front of him, killed it, unfortunately. And uh, he picked it up, put it in his truck, drove all the way back to the ranger station. Mind you, no one have ever been the wiser. He could have dumped the thing off, could have left it there. But he went back to let him know so that they could, they could number him and tag him. Uh, they threw that boy in jail. They threw him in jail, and it was one of the most popular trials uh, back in the late 80s, 88, 89 time. And I, I couldn't believe it. I remember sitting there watching going, but he did the right thing. Yeah, but you killed a panther. But he did the right thing. You know, and what I'm trying to say, guys, is that we are at that age, we're at that point, Romans chapter 1, where men are glorifying the animals and the creature more than the creator, you understand? And I believe that when that rapture happens and that thunderclap arounds, these environmentalists, as nutty as they are, they're going to have their answer for why all these millions of people disappeared. You know, it's Mother Gaia inflicting harm upon those, you know, those Bible thumpers. She purged them from our... That's what's going to happen. Remember, there's strong delusion that's going to be sent into the world, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that they should believe a lie who believe not the truth but have pleasure in righteousness. Okay, so uh, we'll leave it there tonight. Go to verse 16, if you will. That waterfall, that thunder, if you will, his voice. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. The Bible says, And in his right hand, seven stars. Again, verse 20 defines the seven stars. A star is not always a planet. Uh, it's not always a gaseous uh, you know, a luminary in the sky, but the Bible uses the word star in the sense of like Genesis chapter 1 verse 16 says he made the stars also, okay? Uh, but he also uses it to refer to angels. We see that in verse 20 of chapter 1. So the Bible, when using a word, will also define the word. Here the use is, a, the use is referring to an angel, not a planet. Why do we know that? Because the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. The Bible, the King James Bible, has its own built-in dictionary. And you go to verse 20, we find out exactly what those seven stars are. Very simple, very simple. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Again, there's no confusion here. Uh, we know that sharp two-edged sword is what? It's the only uh, offensive weapon that we have, uh, which is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 clears that up. It says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. All right, so we know that's what it is. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 17, the sword is the, uh, is the Word of God. It is two-edged. Uh, the reason it is two-edged is because it can, it's a, with this very same word that will cut a man open. It will also heal a man as well. It'll also heal a man. So, you know, it's looked upon, uh, the Word of God is to convict and to cure, two-edged sword. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 say, Now thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and make him manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. Uh, to the one we are the savor unto de death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which, watch this, corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So the context is clear. Uh, it's clearly the word of God is, is the reference there in uh, verse 16. And the important aspect is remember, that word of God is also the word of life. But it being the word of life, it is also to death unto death unto them who reject Jesus Christ. The very same word that saves a man, woman, or child in the world today will be the very same word that condemns a man or a woman in the ages to come or the judgment to come. So his word, which saves mankind, will also judge mankind. We are judged by his word, not anyone else's. We're not judged by opinions. We're not judged by uh, polls. We're not judged by politics. We are judged by the precious word of God. Now, look there again with me in verse 16. The Bible says his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. This is, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing, and, and I love this part because the appearance of Christ is so magnificent. It is more This is the part that I wanted to get to last week, all right? As you know, as you can see, uh, there's no way we would have done that. So the appearance of Jesus Christ is magnificent. It, it is more radiant uh, than a thousand atom bombs, guys. And notice the connection with Malachi 4, verse 2. You can write that verse down if you want to. Malachi 4, verse 2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, capital S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, arise uh, with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. This is a great teaching point, a teaching point, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, especially linking it together, Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. The sun, which rises every morning and sets every night, the sun uh, the Lord gave us, 
uh, to distinguish a 24-hour day uh, is a picture of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ in creation. He is, we know, the, the creator as well. But here's the example. Here's a beautiful example. We know that God is a trinity. We believe that. That is a Bible doctrine. We know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Son becomes this example, this, this beautiful picture that the Bible teaches us about this triune uh, God that we know of. The Son has three types of rays. They have alpha, beta, and gamma rays. Okay? Three of them. All right? They're known as heat rays, light rays, and asthenetic rays. Okay? Those are the three types of rays that... Um, that they have. All right. So alpha, we know, uh, and beta and gamma, they're known as heat, light, and esoteric rays. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit of one, just like the sun is one. Light rays can be seen, but not felt. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, just like the sun. The light of the world comes from the sun, and all the light that is in the world comes from God. All right. Heat rays can be felt, but guess what? They can't be seen. God the Holy Spirit cannot be seen, but He can be felt. Amen? God the Son is like the asthetic rays, uh, those gamma rays, if you will. They can be seen and they can be felt as Jesus Christ is and was seen and felt. Remember, what do they say? We, and we touched Him. In sundry times, you know, Hebrews, Hebrews opens up speaking about knowing the Lord and we touched him. John chapter one opened up. The word was God. The word was with God and the word became flesh and we, we touched him. We know him. We saw him. So the son, therefore, becomes a type of an eternal Godhead that sheds the light. Just as we find in Romans chapter one, verse 20, uh, for the invisible things of him uh, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Son alone, every scientist cannot argue this point. Every scientist understands that there are three, three entities, the alpha, beta, and gamma rays that are in life. They understand the distinguishing factor between those two. They understand all of those things. So the invisible things are clearly seen because we have a testimony of who and what God is, the eternal Godhead. So every day the gospel is preached, no matter who uh, the person may be, if he feels the heat on his face, if he sees it shining into his eyes, or, or if he is told of the precious gift, he knows the gospel. When we speak the gospel into someone, they say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with it. It's no different than the, the sun coming across and they blind and they turn their eyes away from it. They'll enjoy the heat from it, the benefit from it, but boy, they don't want to take it on board now, do they? When the sun sets at night, or you could say it dies, it turns a blood red as Christ died for our sins through the shedding of His perfect blood. The sun sets below the horizon as Christ was buried in the earth three days and three nights. It's a beautiful picture, guys. You never look at a sunrise or a sunset again the same. It's a beautiful picture of the testimony that the things in this world, that in creation, are clearly seen by just what God has given us. When the sun comes up in the morning, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. The second time, the day of the Lord, the, the Lord's day, the second coming. The sun is, is blood red at the first, and it said that Jesus Christ and his garments are dipped in blood. I tell you, I'll give you a free verse. Look at Isaiah 63 real quick. Let me turn over to Isaiah 63. We know at the second coming of the Lord, we read in Revelation chapter 19, uh, that, that his vesture is dipped as it was dipped in blood, uh, speaking of our Lord and Savior. But here's a free one for you. Look in uh, um, Isaiah Isaiah 
chapter 63, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 tonight. Verses 1 through 7. Watch this here. Verse 1 says, Who is this that cometh from Edom, with dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness mighty to save? Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trod in the winepress alone, and of the people there uh, was no, none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain it, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is my is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk with my fury. And I will bring down their strength through the earth. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord, and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord had bestowed upon us, bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies, and according to the multitude of his loving kindness." You see, guys, we see this. And again, Isaiah chapter 63, we get the picture and the direction of that second coming of Jesus Christ. We know the direction that he's going to travel as he comes, okay? He'll end up coming back through, we see there in Edom. This is still before he sets his foot. But as he comes into that sky and he breaks it through, this is the area he's going to come. And he'll loop around so that he comes to that eastern sky, if you will, there in Jerusalem to plant his foot on Mount Olives. So therefore, when the sun comes up, it's a picture of Jesus Christ's first and second coming. And what a blessing that is. Every day, we can think on that when the sun rolls up. When the sun goes down, we can think of that precious gift that he gave us uh, after the cross of Calvary. What Jesus Christ has done for us and his vesture as it was dipped in blood. Let's look at a couple more verses here tonight. We'll be finished. And uh, do excuse me, guys, if, if I... Uh, slow down on the reading here and there. I, I wear one contact, and uh, i got to close this eye, so I'm refocusing my eye on the words. So verse 17 and 18, if you will. The Bible says, And when I saw him, I felt at his feet, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. First, we find here in, in verse 18, I am he that liveth. He is a living priest. We mentioned that last week. He says, I was dead. He was, the he was the living prophet. We mentioned that last week. And behold, I am to live forevermore. Amen. He is coming again to live forever as king. So we see him as priest, as prophet, and eventually we'll see him as king. But he says that he has the keys of hell and of death. Beloved, within the scripture, we're going to find many keys mentioned. We see the key of David. This is the promises. We see the key of knowledge. This is the law. The key of the kingdom. This is the gospel. And then there's the keys of the bottomless pit, which this is judgment. Jesus has the keys of hell and death. Praise the Lord for that tonight. He not only has the key to hell and death, but he is the doorway unto eternal life as well. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we find in his authorship and his authority here in Revelation, the beauty of Jesus Christ having this key is that he unlocked the door of himself and allowed you and I access through his blood. 
1 Corinthians 16, 7, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We are sitting tonight with the Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Amen. As far as Jesus Christ, this is why this is the whole argument with those who, uh, who believe that you can lose your salvation, which is just a silly, really and truly a, a silly doctrine. Because we're about to see the very verse that not only puts that to rest out of the other hundred, but we're sitting tonight. As far as God is concerned, God dwells outside of the realm of time. He dwells in eternity. And He looks back to the beginning from the end. He's declared the beginning from the end. Do we understand that tonight? And you and I, saved and born again, if you're sealed under the day, if you are saved tonight, you've made your confession sure through the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are sitting tonight in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-7 through seven says, And you hath he quickened. Quicken means to bring to life. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, or for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, hath raised us, watch this, hath, not will, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Beloved, every word is important in the AV 1611. Every jot, every tittle, every full stop, every comma, every exclamation mark, every question mark, every one of them is important. They're there for a particular reason. And when we read here, and hath, that's a past tense, hath raised us up together. Not going to raise us up. We're not over here soul sleeping somewhere. And, you know, and we're not in purgatory, which is not even in the Bible, which is a concoction of a bunch of perverts. And made us to sit together. In heavenly places. Well, how are we together? Ephesians 4 tells us there's one body, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord overall, right? So you and I are together. If you're saved tonight, sealed in the redemption, we're together. But how are we together? In Christ Jesus. Where are we? We're in heavenly places, eternally speaking. He said, but preacher, we're down here living in wells and it's raining all the time and it's getting dark real early and we don't like that. You just buy your time, amen. What 70, 80 years in this world compared to eternity? You understand tonight? What a blessing to know that he has the keys. Hey, what a blessing to know that a man doesn't have keys. Amen? Amen to that. I guarantee I'll tell you one person you better be glad who doesn't have the keys, and that's me, because I lose my keys every single day. No matter where I go, I lose them. I don't know where they go half the time. I think they're on my bag over there now. I've got a big lanyard on it now so I can find out where they go. When I walk in the house, I put them on a hook. Every place I have, I have a hooked place. My office, my church office, got hooked. Why? Because I lose keys. If I walk in somewhere and it's like a table, it's a magnet, man, I'm like, I just drop them wherever they are and I leave them. I don't know where they go. I'm terrible with keys. Always have been. I don't like keys. So I'm, so I'm glad I don't have the keys. Amen? But I sure am glad he's got the keys. What a blessing that is. So quickly, let's close it down tonight. We've already looked at verse 20. Let's look at verse 19. We'll close with verse 20 in just a moment here. But I want you to see something that's very clear. Uh, we've touched on it already. But verse 19 says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be. 
hereafter. So the past, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, remember where, where is he? He's at the second coming writing this thing. The present, Revelation 4, verse 19. All right, the rest of the, the majority of the book of Revelation, I told you guys this, is four different trips through the tribulation period. It's not chronological. You're not starting in chapter 4 and going to chapter 19. This is the beginning, this is the end. No, this is the beginning, then the end, then it restarts again, then it restarts again, and it restarts again. Because it's four different views. Many times you'll see, you'll see three different judgments overlapping one another, a seal, a trumpet, and a vial. Okay. They're not chronological seven and then seven and this. It doesn't work like that. That's not how it is. So there's four different trips that you find. Chapters four through 19. And then there's the future. Revelation 20 through 22. Those things which shall be hereafter. These are the three divisions separated, like I said before, by heaven opening up. The first time people go up. The second time people come down. Amen. Verse 20 is the mystery we've already looked at. The seven stars and the seven candlesticks. This mystery. It's only, uh, I mean, really, it's only a mystery to those... Uh, um, to those who aren't saved, because those who have the Spirit of God in them, they understand it. This is the, the believer, the, uh, the one who is saved and born again in the blood of Christ, to see seven stars and seven angels, uh, one for each church age. Each church age has an angelic representative in heaven. Uh, the Bible calls them a star. The seven golden candlesticks are the seven church ages, not the literal, physical, uh, local churches, but the seven church ages. Each church age has a golden candlestick that represents them in heaven. As long as the flame burns, that particular church age is alive. Six candles are out. Only one remains. That's the final church age. The one that we're in. And here's the deal. God didn't wake up one morning, because he never sleeps, number one. But he didn't wake up one morning and go, man, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I stick Alwyn down there in 2022? He didn't go, man, I cannot believe that, that BJ is living in the in the 21st, you know, in the 21st century. Man, I'm supposed to put him back in the, the Philadelphian church age, you know. And God didn't do that. Time and time and time and time again, I, I, we've, we've made it clear, and I've made this statement, that missions is the heartbeat of God, okay? God-given, local church-supported missions around the world. It is the heartbeat of God, but it's in our hands. And God knew exactly when you and I were going to be alive. Before I, before I formed thee, I knew thee. Okay? Before I formed thee, I knew thee. So there's no shock, no surprise that we're living in the age we're living in now. That we're living in an age where churches are few and far between. Bible-believing churches are few and far between. We're living in an age where congregations aren't busting at the seams uh, in most of our place in Bible-believing preaching churches. We're living in that age, and God knew that we are going to live in that age. He knew that one candle was still lit. And as long as that candle is lit, guys, you and I have a job to do in this world. And that is to bring the light of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to as many people as we can. You say, preacher, are we supposed to save them? No, you're supposed to plant the seed, water the seed, let the Holy Spirit of God bring the increase. That doesn't mean you don't witness and ask them, hey, are you willing to pray right now and ask Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior? You ought to do that. All right, push the, push the envelope a little bit. But the reality is this. Those who get saved and born again, they become your brother and sister in Christ. And this church is still alive and still living as long as that candlestick is lit. And when that candlestick, this one in particular, goes out, 
It goes out when the Lord Jesus Christ takes that deep breath. I believe in all my heart, Brother Allen, that in the same breath that he says, come up hither, that candlestick's blown out and the age comes to an end. That's the responsibility we have today. We're seeing the Bible unfold before our eyes. Yeah, man, I'd have loved to live back in this Philadelphian church age, you know? I'd love to live back then when there was no running water and, you know, septus was all over everywhere. And you know, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Amen. Yeah, the revivals would have been great. The preaching would have been great. Yeah, it would have been blessing. But God didn't choose me to live there. He chose me to live today, right here, right now, and to live with you. How about them apples? Amen. So let's do our job, guys. Let's understand what is before us. Let's understand this church age is coming to an end. It's coming to an end soon. So let's make sure we do the work that God has given us while it is yet day. For night cometh when no man can work. Will you bow your heads with me tonight? Father, again, thank you, Lord, for this time, opportunity to be here this evening. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this group, this congregation of people. Father, I thank you for their attentiveness, their, their dedication, their faithfulness. I pray you bless their hearts and their minds and their souls, dear Lord, for the teaching and preaching tonight. I ask you, dear Lord, that you would stir up their hearts, dear God. Lord, let us be a light, let us be a witness to a lost and dying world. But Father, let us never forget the wonderful grace that you have given us all. Salvation through the shed blood of the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, praise the Lord.